Welcome to episode 175 of This Week in Linux, recorded live November 13th, 2021. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. This episode is jam-packed with stuff. we got some news related to gaming. we got some distro news. We've got even a little bit of drama news. We'll get to that later on. But we're going to start right now. Just jump right into it with your weekly source for Linux. Good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. But first in the show, we're going to start this episode off with a bang, or in this case, a pop. <laughs> see what I did there. System76 has revealed that they're working on a new desktop environment, and it is not based on the GNOME shell. So for those who are familiar, they already have something called Cosmic, which is based on the GNOME shell, and it uses stuff like the pop shell modifications and a, a bunch of different stuff. They've been working on, you know, customizing GNOME for a, lo a lot for quite a while. And uh, I think that, that what they've been doing is very interesting. And the fact that they have announced on Reddit uh, in a, a conversation in the subreddit for the Pop! OS uh, distribution that they're working on a new uh, desktop environment is very cool and very interesting because I think there's a lot of potential based on what they have been talking about, plus also what they've been doing. So back in a couple years ago, when Pop! OS was first announced by System76, people were asking, like, do we need another distribution? And people were expecting it just to be like, well, they're just making their own in-house thing and it's not going to be that that special or whatever. But Pop! OS has definitely placed itself, in, you know, it, it's a standout distribution and has become one of the distros that people recommend for beginners to get started for a variety of reasons. So I do think that, you know, when people think, is there, do we need another desktop environment? Because I, you know, there's definitely people who uh, immediately reacted that way. I would remind them that they reacted probably the same way with the distro, and Pop! OS has definitely established themselves. So I think this is interesting, especially since, you know, all their customizations that they want to make are because, you know, GNOME extensions are not very flexible. They are kind of a bit wonky at times. So uh, I think it's better that they would be making a DE. If they're going to be customizing it as much as they have been, I think this is a good thing. Now, there is a little bit of drama in this particular topic because some websites have been saying that the new desktop is because of disagreements between System76 engineers and GNOME developers, but System76 clarified that that is not the reason. And in my opinion, this should be clear because PopShell has been significantly different from the GNOME shell for a long time, and they have been... But they have been pivoting away from the GNOME experience for quite a bit. So it makes sense that this would be a different, you know, it's not based on this. They have been working on this for a while. Uh, the most interesting thing about this new desktop shell is that they say it will be primarily written in Rust, the Rust programming language. Now, this is very cool because, I mean, Rust has become a programming language that has been talked about for a lot. For It's being very popular. There are even some efforts to get Rust being used inside of the Linux kernel. So it's got a lot of potential. So it's very interesting that they are doing a DE with Rust. But they also said that they plan to reuse some existing tooling. This could relate to Mutter, KWIN, WL Roots, you know, these kinds of things. They've already talked about that's potential. And they also said that they're going to be following the free desktop standards where possible for this DE so that it can be distro agnostic. So if you want to run, 
this new DE inside of Fedora or OpenSUSE or Arch or whatever, you'd be able to do that, which is very cool. Now, of course, there's going to be a lot of debate about this, like I mentioned about some people saying, is, you know, do we need another DE and that sort of stuff? But there was a very interesting perspective shared by uh, one of the developers for Pop! OS saying that choice is the best part of open source. By the way, quote, choice is the best part of open source. None of us would be here today if people weren't brave enough to take the next step with a new solution to an existing problem. You're likely now using some software that was just recently developed as an alternative to something. Distributions and people will naturally gravitate towards the best solutions over time, and sometimes the best solution for an individual is not the most popular desktop environment. There's very good points, and especially, you know, there's a lot of things that happen because they are, you know, iterating over something else that already exists. Like, for example, Pipewire. Pipewire is something that has not been around for an extreme amount of time. You know, it's fairly new, but it also is replacing something like Pulse Audio, which has been around for a while. And there's reasons to replace it and improve the overall experience. So if people were like, well, we already have this one thing, we wouldn't, we shouldn't innovate, then that would not be very good for the progress of the ecosystem. So I understand that point, and I totally agree that if you have a new solution to an existing issue and you're uh, shaking a new route, especially with like a new programming language or some kind of new toolkit or something, that people reacting in the way of like, do we need another one is a little unfair. And there's also been a little bit of drama attached to this because there's been people who are uh, attacking System76 for having the desire to make something better, which is weird. Let's just, let's just put it out there. It's very weird. Anyway, with the new shell, they did say that they're working on, you know, using existing components, which, for example, they said that they're, they're right now, you know, looking at using GTK RS, where you use Rust inside of GTK. They also are saying they're open to other possibilities, uh, but right now, that's what the current path is looking at, and that they are very much uh, sure, like, is a certainty that the new Cosmic Desktop will be, uh, you know, focusing on Wayland. They may also do X11 sort of stuff, but they are going to be focusing on Wayland because, you know, as we know, Wayland is the future. It's not the present, but it is the future. So it makes sense that they're going to be working on that. And I think this is good news. You know, some people might not agree with that, but I think this is good news because they're taking what they've already built that is very good. Pop OS is very good. And it's, it's a lot easier for people to get started in some cases with Pop! OS, depending on their hardware setup and things like that. So the effort that they, they've already proven that they're not just doing something for the sake of doing it. So I can't wait to see what they do with their DE. If you'd like to learn more, I'll have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about Valve's Steamworks Virtual Conference for the Steam Deck developers. That happened this week. That's a lot to say. So we got a lot of answers for a lot of questions, not all the questions we wanted answers for, but a lot of them. So we're going to dig into a lot of different things and we're going to highlight as many as possible. It was a very long conference, uh, so it took a little bit to comb through everything. But here's what I wanted to talk about for uh, what we found out about the Steam Deck at this conference. So, But before we get into that, they did announce that there will be a two-month delay for the Steam Deck. So it was going to supposed to be to begin uh, begin shipping in December 2021, but that's now going to be February 2022. So this is, I mean, it's not really that surprising. I know a lot of people don't want to wait anymore. I personally don't want to wait anymore, but it's not really surprising the delay happened with the shortages and all that stuff. So it makes sense. 
But let's talk about what happened at the conference. So they talked a lot about SteamOS 3.0, which is very exciting. A lot of people were curious about that. So in regards to SteamOS 3.0, well, it's still not out yet. You can't really use it yet. But developers were given an option to uh, what they can use in the meantime because it's not technically ready for people to use. So they don't want to even have people like developers using it because then there might be some issues of like when they make changes, the testing that was done would not be relevant and create issues and that kind of thing. So they gave advice saying that developers who want to make something for the Steam Deck can use Manjaro KDE as they claim it should be close enough for developers. Now that's not to say that they should, they're not recommending Manjaro KDE as what people should use. They're specifically talking to developers and they're also saying this is like a temporary thing. So it's, if you want to get started now, you can try out KDE's, uh, the KDE edition on Manjaro for the testing of making a game for the Steam Deck, provided that you don't have a dev kit. Uh, they also made a document for related to develop, developing for the Steam Deck without a dev kit. They even give you some like comparable hardware options and stuff like that. I'll have that linked in the show notes. And they also said that the SteamOS 3.0 will be available for generic machines after the deck is out. So de- generic machines means like you could just download the ISO and put it on whatever you want. So at some point, it will be possible to throw SteamOS 3.0 on whatever machine you might happen to have and create your own Steam machine, which would be pretty cool. And another thing that is interesting with the SteamOS 3.0 is that they have announced that the Steam Deck will be using an immutable root file system. What does that mean? Well, similar to Fedora Silverblue and Kinoite, Uh, Users will have a core system that is separate from their user data, which is kind of true already in Linux, but much more direct separation. And this is also a read-only separation, so the root system would not be modified by the user. This makes it easier for them to do upgrades and also, you know, other things like that for the core system because it's it's going to be consistent across the different uh, users for the different. So, like Steam Deck will have if you have the SteamOS on a Steam Deck, everybody has the same experience, even with your modifications, provided that you don't turn on Dev mode. So if you want to turn on dev mode, that is a thing that is possible, and you could do that and make some other changes, but it would no longer be the immutable version. So there might be issues here and there depending on what you do. But it's really cool as they they mentioned that this doesn't mean you can't do some stuff. You can still install applications because they're making it so that the Flatpak apps will work out of the box. You don't do anything special to get stuff like that installed, which is fantastic. And it's very similar to how Fedora Silverblue works. Now, the next thing is a topic that has been debated for a while, reverses the the native support for Linux and Proton support for Linux. So there was a question that was asked in the the stream that says, uh, would you prefer a game to use Proton or to have native Linux support? What's the stance on that from Valve? Then Valve developer uh, Pierre-Lou Griffas, Griffas? I don't don't know, sorry, sorry, couldn't pronounce your name, Uh, but says, uh, we have no strong preference. Really, it comes down to whatever is the best experience. So if it is easier for the developer to get to a point where the best experience is achieved through Proton, we think that's great. But if they have the know-how or the resources to work on a native Linux build, that has a great experience and has all the functionality and they're able to maintain it, we think that's even better. So this makes sense to me, and I'm glad they mentioned that native would be better because typically that is the case. Now, I hope developers take the time to make native builds because it would just more than likely be a better experience overall, and it also would help the ecosystem of Linux, but I also understand why they might not want to do that. I'm kind of torn on this particular topic. 
so I'm just going to leave it there. What do you think? Let me know in the comments below or on the forum. I'll have that linked in the show notes if you want to check it out. Uh, you know, check out the forum that we have for, if you didn't aware, we have a forum for all of the shows on Destination Linux Network. So check it out. I'll have it linked. Uh, and I'm also still very excited for the Steam Deck. And most of the answers they offered were very exciting for me. Originally, I was a bit worried that they decided to go with Arch Linux because there could be some you know, backfire effect from that because they're making it something that's meant to be the average user experience and, and Arch is not really for that. So I was kind of worried about that route taking. But now that considering they're using the immutable approach like Fedora Silverblue, I'm more okay with it now. And it's, I think it's very cool that they're taking that approach. And I'm very curious to see how it works out once they release SteamOS 3.0. So if you'd like to learn more about any of the topics we talked about related to the Steam Deck uh, conference, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show, let's talk about the Linus Tech Tips Challenge video that was released this week. For those who don't know what is going on about this topic, uh, the synopsis is Linus and Luke from the WAN show on uh, this Linus Tech Tips channel are doing like a 30-day Linux daily driver challenge. Uh, and I've somewhat been paying attention to this thing like with their experiences, but also not that much attention because I wanted to do something kind of unique. And then I wanted to do a reaction video, but I wanted to do a live stream version of a, relax, a reaction video to this. Uh, if you didn't know, we live stream this show every week. So we're going to do it right after this show this week. And if you want to attend the next week, it's every Saturday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern. Uh, so after the stream, we're going to be doing a live special event sort of thing reacting to that. Uh, I'm sure there are many reaction videos out there already, but I wanted to do something a little bit special, so that's why I'm live streaming it. Now, for those who were not able to attend the live stream, don't worry. I'm going to have an edited version that I will be publishing on this channel. So if you want to check that out, I'll have that linked in the show notes because... By the time you watch this, I would already have done the stream. So, <laughs> links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now is the perfect time to dive into the DigitalOcean. Their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With the app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps as well as static websites faster and easier than ever using their simple, intuitive interface. You simply point your app plat the app platform to your GitHub or your GitLab repository and then let it do, well, everything. All of the heavy lifting, whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, or container images, the app platform can help you with all of that stuff and make it a, such an easy process to get started. And also by running the app platform on their own infrastructure, it makes it possible to keep the cost significantly lower for using the DigitalOcean app platform than other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean's Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup by moving, by if you already use Kubernetes, you can just use the new app, the app platform because it has the same kind of infrastructure, making it really easy to migrate. And as a listener of this week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free, because if you go to do.co slash DLN, you can get started with a $100 free credit. That's right. They're going to give you $100 to get started on the app platform simply by going to do.co slash DLN. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, let's talk about the latest release of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And yes, we did talk about RHEL 9 beta 
previously, but we're talking about Rail 8.5 as the current stable release because the other one was beta that we talked about. And Rail 8.5 is the fifth maintenance update to Rail. But in the Red Hat world, uh, maintenance updates are a bit more involved than just simple maintenance changes. So when you see a lot of the times with projects, they'll have like some kind of maintenance update and it's not that much. They're fixing some bugs here and there, that sort of thing. But with Rail, it's very different. So for example, RHEL 8.5 upgrades, it's going to make upgrading support for uh, containerization, uh, predictive analytics, multi-cloud support, and we're going to just do dig into a few of these things. For example, uh, RHEL 8.5 makes containerized applications easier to deploy and manage by introducing the ability to create containerized images faster through rootless use of the overlay FS file system. What does that mean? Well, essentially it allows users to overlay one file system over another, enabling multiple users or applications to access it at the same time, which is just really, really cool. And that is a big difference between a maintenance release, right? So the next thing I want to talk about is the release brings uh, live kernel patching to the web console, aka cockpit, and as and also a bunch of a uh, number of system roles and management enhancements and that sort of stuff. So for example, let's talk about the system roles. So they've got new system roles for administrators for uh, the SQL Server, VPN, PostFix, also even stuff for like the uh, system role for time syncing, which uh, the, it, there's just a lot of cool stuff in this. So it's Definitely not just a maintenance update. But the next thing I want to talk about is the web console because I think that the live kernel patching through Cockpit is just such a powerful thing that isn't getting a lot of attention because, I mean, that's also going to be in Rail 9.0. We talked about that in the previous coverage of the beta, but I wanted to cover it again here because it is just very, very cool. So it makes it possible so that the web interface uh, basically allows you to uh, live patch the kernel, meaning you don't have to take down your deployments of your rail systems, which is very important in the enterprise world. If you The lower the amount of, of, of downtime, the better. So when you have live kernel patching through the web console, now, well, Red Hat has had, Rails had live kernel patching for a long time, but having it through the web console makes it much easier to uh, manage your, all of your systems that are using it, which is awesome. Now, this is kind of funny because I've talked about Enterprise Linux so much more in this past year than I have ever in the history of this show because of the change between CentOS and CentOS Stream and that sort of stuff. And the next topic is also somewhat relevant to uh, that change, and we'll get to that in a second. But I just want to point out that it is such, it's kind of funny to me because of how how different and exciting the enterprise Linux world has become in this past year compared to, well, every other year before it because it was it was just like, it is what it is. It's the enterprise, nothing really changes big, and now it feels like every month there is something to talk about in a big way and in this case, I think I've done it three times this month already. So maybe two times this month. Yeah, two times this month. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Rail 8.5, links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about Alma Linux 8.5 has been released. So Alma Linux is a very interesting project. I've gone on records uh, saying that Alma Linux is kind of like the most interesting derivative for Rail to me. 
Uh, it's like basically like a rail clone. And there's a lot of rail clones, but I think Alma Linux is kind of the most interesting uh, for a lot of reasons. They cre recently created the Elevate project that we talked about, which is pretty cool. It's a way to uh, have a migration between different rail derivative distributions. So if you have a if you have an install of CentOS, you could migrate from CentOS to Alma or Alma to CentOS stream or whatever you could do all kinds of stuff like that, which is very cool. And also the fact that Alma Linux is a 501 nonprofit project to ensure it's community driven and to even go a step further. For example, the, the CEO of cloud Linux and the founder of Alma Linux was the chair of Alma Linux foundation, but is, has decided to step down so that the community can elect their own chairperson, which is awesome. And it shows how much they're focused on making this a community driven project and that's just great. And all this stuff is, you know, is great. But Omelinux has now done something that prior to the transition to CentOS Stream would have been pretty much impossible. Now, this is not to say that Omelinux themselves are doing every single facet of this. Obviously, Reddit is involved. Obviously, the CentOS uh, Stream developers are involved in this. But it just it's just such a huge change from the previous era, and this is why I mentioned earlier that I, in the previous topic with the RHEL 8.5, that I'm you know so interested in the, the fact that the enterprise is moving as much as it is now, because um, the RHEL derivative of Alma Linux released just two days after RHEL 8.5. That is unheard of prior to the CentOS Stream era, because previously it would take weeks and even months sometimes for uh, CentOS to create new releases based on RHEL because the process was just a lot more involved and also the CentOS devs had to wait until all the work on RHEL was done before they could start work on CentOS itself. Now, this is why I've always been in favor of the CentOS move that was made by Red Hat to go into the CentOS stream approach where CentOS is upstream to RHEL because it makes it possible for people to contribute more to RHEL as a whole. Now, I wasn't happy with the, how they announced it. It was not managed very well. But ultimately, I've always thought this was a good decision. And this news from Alma Linux pretty much solidifies that because it shows just how much involvement you can be possibly having by... Like they were making the beta version of the 8.5 beta very quickly after uh, RHEL did one. So like previously, you would see months even for updates. And just two days, that's impressive. So CentOS Streams makes it possible for this to happen. They make it possible for Red Hat, uh, RHEL customers, and the community to be involved in the development of future RHEL releases. And this is why I'm so interested in what has been happening over the past couple of years because previously you could not do that and now you can so seeing as it ha seeing what happens as it happens is just very interesting to me and that's why I include it on this show because prior that would have been impossible to do and now there's so much stuff happening so it's very cool if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Alma Linux 8.5 or Alma Linux in general or uh, the CentOS stream story and that kind of thing. I'll have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the Raspberry Pi OS has been upgraded to Debian 11. So it's upgraded to Debian 11 Bullseye, which means it's got all of the new uh, packages from the core updates from Debian 10 to Debian 11. And at first, I when I saw this news, I was thinking, okay, it's like a typical upgrade stuff, you know, that kind of thing, not something special. But then something caused me to actually say out loud, wait, what? So, 
and I quote from the blog post of the latest release, says, all of the desktop components and applications are now using version 3 of the GTK uh, Plus User Interface Toolkit. GTK is a layer of software that applications can use to draw standard user interface components, also known as widgets, such as buttons and menus and that sort of thing, so that all the applications have a consistent look and feel. Up until now, most of the desktop has used version 2 of GTK Toolkit, but increasing numbers of Debian applications are using GTK 3, so to try and keep things consistent, we've upgraded all, all of our software and the desktop itself to the newer version. Now, for those who are not familiar with what all that stuff means and the different like esoteric terms, like you're not familiar with what a toolkit is or GTK in general and that sort of stuff, or the version, the difference between GTK 2 and GTK 3, this is big because the Raspberry Pi OS distribution uses LXDE. LXDE is a desktop environment that was created a long time ago and was based on GTK2 and apparently it's now becoming GTK3 based. So the reason why this is interesting is because the LXDE team transitioned to Qt, making LXQt because the process of switching to GTK3 would have been a lot of work. And it seems to have been happening in like this weird stealth mode from the Raspberry Pi people, or at least they're involved in some way, because when I looked into it, there's like experimental support for all the components for GTK3, and I just expected that to never happen. So it was just a very interesting thing to see when I saw it in the blog post, like, wow, okay. Now, I'm not sure why they would go with the LXDE rebuilding to stuff to have support for GTK3 when they could just use LXQt or something else, but... It's very interesting. Now, I know why they did do the, th the, the two to three because of the whole Wayland support because there's impossible to have support for Wayland in GTK2. But I'm more curious about like why did they not, you know, why did they choose to go to GTK3 and do all that work rather than just use LXQt? And, you know, I'm very curious. Uh, hopefully someone from the Raspberry Pi development team or Raspberry Pi OS development team will let us know why all that happened. But I think it's really interesting that it happened because I honestly thought LXDE was dead, and apparently it's not. So there you go. If you'd like to learn more, links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome piece of software. It is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, it provides lots of different tools to make it easy to manage your passwords so you can store your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate passwords for you, and even automatically fill in passwords on login forms so you don't have to do it. The automatic generation part is very important because you should have a different password for every account on every website. And managing that or creating new passwords is a lot of work, but with Bitwarden, it's not. It's just a simple one-click button and you're good to go. And you can have access to cross all like all your different types of devices, whether it's a web browser, mobile apps, desktop application, or even on the command line, you can use Bitwarden for all of that. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only one with access to your data. And if you go to bitwarden.com slash DLN, you can get started for free. But I think you want to check out their premium accounts because they have a lot of great stuff and it starts at less than a dollar per month. That's right. Less than a dollar per month gives you one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, 
Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Priority Customer Service, and so much more. And that's right, less than a dollar per month gets you all of this great stuff. So check it out, bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show is an interesting topic because it's a good thing, and also it's from a company that doesn't typically do good things. <laughs> okay, that's my opinion, just really quick. So sometimes Epic Games is in a weird situation. It's like a seesaw of whether I don't like them or whether I like them and they do something bad or they do something good, and it's you know it's just it's kind of weird. But in this case, they're on the upside of that seesaw because. They have uh, Ryan Gordon, aka Iculus, has announced on his Patreon that Epic Games has decided to give a mega grant to him for his work on SDL. Now, for those unfamiliar with SDL, it's a very, very important library. So, SDL or the Simple Direct Media Layer is a cross platform development library designed to provide low level access to audio, keyboard input, mouse input. A joystick input and uh, graphics hardware via OpenGL and Direct3D. It is used by video playback software, emulators, and a lot, a lot of games. And Ryan Gordon is one of the people responsible for its development, and he also has been uh, ported many games over the years to Linux. So he's been a lot, been involved in that sort of stuff for a long time. So again. Uh, this is very important to have that kind of thing from Epic Games. And in some way or another, SDL is used by most games, whether it's for input access, audio access, or all sorts of stuff. So a quick and very big thanks to Ryan and everyone involved in creating SDL because there are so many things that depend on this library, and it is great to see that Epic Games noticed that too, resulting in a mega grant for that project. Uh, so to Epic Games... Thanks for giving me a reason to like you again, but can you stop with the other stuff and just stay on the like part? Just keep stay on that side of the seesaw. I would very much appreciate that. Uh, so there you go. They're also working on the next release of SDL with 2.0.18, which doesn't sound like a big release, but the version number doesn't really indicate how big of a release it is because it, they typically do big releases. But we'll go into more details about that when it does release. But for now, if you'd like to learn more, I have links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we've got some legal news for you today. Everybody loves legal news. And this is an update to the infamous SCO versus IBM case. Now, this legal saga has been happening for almost 20 years now, and we finally got some good news related to it. Eh, kind of. You'll... So, for those unfamiliar, SCO was a company that seemingly hated Linux for some reason. I mean, that's my opinion, is what it seemed like. At some point, there was a fear that they would be potentially a threat to end Linux as a project, in fact. So, obviously, this did not happen. In fact, it happened to SCO because SCO as a company ended instead in 2011 when it went bankrupt. However, 10 years later, it still has been happening. It still has been going with the SCO lawsuit, like a nonsense zombie lawsuit, sort of. Uh, but uh, there's a court case has established, the judge has made, has made a statement saying that all claims and counterclaims in this matter, whether alleged or not alleged, pleaded or not pleaded, have been settled, compromised, or resolved in full and for good cause appearing. Uh, it is hereby ordered that parties' motion is granted, parties replying to dismissal, uh, all claims and counterclaims in this action, whether alleged or not alleged, pleaded or not pleaded, have been settled, compromised, and resolved in full and are dismissed with prejudice. That's a very important part. 
on and on the merits. The parties shall bear their own respective costs and expenses, including attorney's fees and that sort of stuff. So the, to kind of break down some of the legalese part of it, now, again, I'm not a lawyer, so I should very clear, clearly state I don't know exactly what I'm talking about, but uh, a gist sort of explanation of it is that this case has now finally been dismissed after 20, some, 20 years almost, anyway. And the prejudice part implies that it can't be re-established or sued on the same grounds of that stuff bef- again. Now, this is great because uh, it essentially gets rid of that zombie legal nightmare, but there's still some, you know, it's not over technically because the company that bought Sco, Zinuos or something, uh, has a lawsuit against IBM right now that we talked about on episode uh, 147 of Twill, and that's still out there. So, um, I mean, in 2011, the company uh, Zinuos or whatever, um, bought the SCO assets, and the the CEO of Zinuos, Richard Bolands, uh, pr- promised at the time that the company has no intention to pursue any litigation related to the SCO Group's assets acquired by the company. We're all about world leadership and technology, not litigation. Apparently, that promise uh, did not last because they are now litigating over worthless nonsense lawsuits, in my opinion, and the Zinuos claims that IBM stole their intellectual property, claims IBM and Red Hat conspired together to hurt their, their company, Zinuos or whatever, and claims IBM is out to destroy free BSD. I didn't know it was possible, but you have successfully surpassed the levels of absurdity and silly jankness that the SCO lawsuits had, so good job, I guess. You know, by the way, in my opinion, that... If you'd like to learn more about this topic, you can check out Twill 147, and I'll have as more details about like the, that particular lawsuit. So if you want to f- learn more about that, I'll have links in the show notes for that, as well as links to this latest news related to the SCO slash IBM original lawsuit saga thing. Links in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of the Tor browser with Tor 11, or Tor browser 11. Very important. Tor browser and Tor are different things so in well it's a browser that uses tor <laughs> so tor browser 11 is an anonymous web browser based on uh, mozilla firefox this latest version is based on 91 firefox 91 esr the extended support release and tor 0.4.6.8 the tor browser 11 introduces a brand new look to ensure they say that in a quote to ensure it lives up to the new experience each piece of the custom UI in Tor browser has been modernized to match it, match Firefox's new look and feel so there's a lot of changes to the new to the Tor browser with Tor, Tor browser 11 and there's also uh, in changes not even just visuals there's also other stuff like they've made updates to the circuit display connection screen security levels and onion site errors got updated as well including some other bug fixes and that sort of stuff but the, the biggest, most notable thing outside of the UI, the UI is the most noticeable, of course, but there's also another part where they have fully deprecated version 2 Onion services inside of this latest version of the Tor browser. So since the 0.4.6.8 version of Tor is now used by default, uh, V2 Onion addresses are no longer reachable, and users will see an invalid Onion site address error message if they go to one. Uh, so if you have that in your, if you have some stuff bookmarked that are Onion site addresses for the version two, 
you'll need to update those because they will not work. Uh, the new V3 addresses uses uh, 56 characters compared to the 16 characters of the version 2 uh, address system. So it's very clear which is the old one, which is the new one, but you would still need to make some adjustments provided that you have like bookmarked some V2 things. So that's why I wanted to put that in there because that's worth noting if you are a Tor browser user. And if you'd like to learn more about Tor browser, if you're not a user, I'll have links in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, and others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And if you do become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss st stuff in between the topics or just hang out each and every week after the show in the patron-only post-show as well as the patron-only pre-show that we have just started doing in the past couple of weeks or so. So if you want to do that, you can become a patron by going to touchdigital.com slash contribute. And you can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt that I'm currently wearing at dealinstore.com. Plus, while you're there, you can check out all the other cool stuff. We have hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, backpacks, all sorts of stuff, dealinstore.com. Com. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then while you're there at DestinationLinux.network, check out the other stuff like the Destination Linux podcast and Hardware Addicts as I'm a part of those shows as well. And there's also so much more at DLN. Check it out. You can check out the GameSphere, Pseudo Show, DLN Extend, so much great stuff, DestinationLinux.network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time or 1800 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to dlnlive.com. And thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Snell with the Destination Linux Network. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news. <laughs>